0: Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. welcome to self-helpful i'm your guide kevin miller and i curate the sea of new personal development messages to bring the most influential leaders onto this show join me as i question my guests to better understand their counsel so we can all integrate the wisdom into our lives because we all want to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others The Self Helpful Podcast is presented by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping coaches. Visit Ziggler.com. Hello, self helpful listeners. In this episode, master the art of trying and failing in order to succeed. This kicks off a four-part series where my primary muse is just that, the art of trying and failing and the personal development world. We give a lot of, I think, pithy lip service to trying and quitting and failure. And I could add rejection, I think, as well. But as a culture, even amongst aspiring people like us, I feel we often fail to grasp a healthy and ultimately productive perspective on these concepts. My guest expert on this topic for the series is Hala Taha. Hala is host of the Young and Profiting podcast. It's frequently ranked as a number one business and entrepreneurship podcast across all apps. Hala is also founder and CEO of Yap Media, a business podcast network with an award-winning social media and podcast marketing agency for top podcasters, celebrities, and CEOs. She keeps signing on big names out there in the podcast world. I actually met Hala face-to-face and spent some time at a podcasting convention and discovered she has quite a personal development story as well. Her pedigree of success runs parallel to an impressive rap sheet of trying and failing things she's tried that didn't work out things she quit until she found what worked and overall you see a commitment to succeed that kept her persevering until she did just that found out what worked so i invited her onto the show to help us find more i think willingness and comfort in trying things and trying again and trying different methods until we find what works to achieve the ultimate goal the overall goal of success that we desire in whatever way that looks like to us. So we also ended with a brief masterclass, I think on branding that you're gonna not wanna miss. You can find Hala on your podcast app at Young and Profiting. And I encourage you to, uh, whether you consider yourself young or not, tune into her show. She's recently had Lewis Howes on the show, Seth Godin. It's just tremendous. So really check her out. Uh, You can also watch the full episode. You can watch this full episode on YouTube. If you want, just search for self helpful with Kevin Miller. Holla, looking at your bio and your website and the social media, I mean, your success and achievement rap sheet is a mile long. What's interesting to me and what I really, as I was just researching you, as I've gotten to know you a little bit, what was so interesting to me is along with those successes and achievements, which is you know, why you're where you are now and why you have the following and the influence and the impact and the credibility and all that. There's also, as you told me, actually, we were at an event together, if you remember out in Florida mm-hmm. and uh, talked there. And I said, okay, my show is really personal. I don't talk a whole lot on business. You know, I'm talking about the personal story. And you kind of said... Oh, I've got a story. And we talked a little bit then. And that's really where I want to key in on is uh, we'll get to some of the the successes, but not even really the failure. I I will want to talk about that in a minute, but I'm interested in the trying Hmm. that you have tried so many things. And we've got the old cliche folks that we refer to, you know, Edison, and he tried a You know, a thousand times to create the light bulb and whatnot. And, you know, Babe Ruth for every home run he hit, he also struck out a lot. And it's kind of pithy, but it's legit. And you, that's what hit me. You're such a great example of that. You've got all these successes, but holy smokes, you have tried so many things. So I want to dig into the psychology on that. And when you look at that, is there anything that you would look back on yourself? Initially, not even now, but even back then and go, what was it early on that gave you the, I'm not sure if I want to ask the drive to try things or the willingness to try knowing that you're probably going to fail and be okay with that. Because mm-hmm. as you know, with all the people you work with and whatnot, a lot of people, and that's, that's the stumbling block. They're not going to try because they might fail. What was, the, what was going on with you that enabled you maybe or spurred you to do that?
1: Yeah. Well, there's so much to unpack in this question, but I think where I can really start is my father. So my father was from Palestine, which, um, you know, when he was growing up, it was a very war-torn area, still is. And he was a very poor farmer son. He lived in one room with seven other people and had no electricity, no running water. And he knew that his only way out of getting... Uh, out of Palestine was to study and to be the smartest kid in town. And he ended up getting a scholarship in Egypt to medical school. He ended up coming to America, becoming a doctor, becoming a surgeon, becoming chief of surgery at multiple hospitals, then owning a medical center and essentially pulled his whole family out of poverty. So by the time that I was born, I'm the baby of four kids. It's almost like I had no excuse, but to succeed and, you know, 10x whatever my father did. And on top of that, I grew up in 9-11. I was in, you know, just starting out in high school when 9-11 happened. And that was really tough on me. I remember being very accepted. My family was very accepted in my town. It was mostly an, a white and uh, Jewish town. And I was generally treated like an Italian kid, like just very accepted, very popular, uh, you know, lead in all the plays, had a solo in every concert and was in sports and very accepted. And after 9-11 happened, I was really outcasted. I started getting a little bit bullied. Um, I never got into the talent shows anymore. They wouldn't even allow me to perform in the talent shows. And I had the best voice in school. I didn't get on any sports teams. And so basically for four years, I would keep trying and not get anything. I lost a lot of my friends. And then I learned, uh, about rejection because I literally did not get any opportunities in high school. So that led me to going to college and getting into like an okay school because I had no, you know, nothing to shine in on my high school resume because I really wasn't allowed to do anything. And once I got to college, thank God I picked a really diverse school. And then all of a sudden I was getting opportunities left and right. I'd try out for the cheerleading, t- cheerleading team, became captain, you know, tried out for the play, was the lead, uh, was in my sorority, was on the board, right? So then I just kept get winning And that's when I really found my passion for broadcasting. I ended up getting an internship at Hot 97, um, and ended up interning there for free for three years. And that's what really first exposed me to this area of broadcasting. So I've been in this world for 12 years already. So like you said, I tried, we can get into all the times Uh, I tried to make it.
0: Some of that and, and really the psychology. So I'm interested even in your dad's story, you know, he's in a, he's in Palestine, he's in, uh, house with all these people and his culture and i'm going to guess that he got out he escaped he you know overcame or whatever but that's not the story of most of the people he was with so was he an anomaly in that sense
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. He was, like, the first person to go to college. Uh, Shortly after, like, one of his cousins followed and is, like, my closest uncle in America and stuff like that. But really, he was the first one. And, uh, you know, he put all his nieces and nephews through college. So he literally brought my whole family in Palestine out of poverty. Now everyone's doing okay. But it's almost because he just was so generous and made sure that everybody was okay.
0: Do you... Okay. So think back to that and you could look at, or I can look at it both ways. So I'll ask ask a question. Did you feel some or both of, or only an expectation to, as you said, like the 10x, gosh, my dad did this. I need to like 10x that. I need, was it, did it feel like an expectation, even a pressure, or did it feel more like a privilege of, gosh, I've been blessed. I want to, you know, take advantage of that and, and honor that.
1: Yeah, it's funny. You know, my parents weren't really, you know, most immigrant parents are like hounding their kids to study and be perfect. My parents weren't like that. They kind of were just like, yeah, do whatever you want. Um, They were pretty lax about that kind of stuff. But I felt inspired by my dad, you know, like I would always think of him like, oh, he's such a hero. He's so generous. Like, I, I hope to achieve, you know, that amount of success and and I felt like I had to do it and all of my siblings are very successful because you when you have that kind of a role model it's really hard not to become successful when you have somebody who is such a great role model in that way so I feel like I it was pressure because it would be like a shame if I was the only one who didn't make it. But I was really the black sheep because all of my siblings are doctors. And you t- Yeah, you uh, told
0: me that. I was going to ask that. Yeah, keep going. And,
1: and my cousins, uh, like I said, my uncle sort of followed in my dad's footsteps and did the same track as him. Uh, he's like 10 years younger. And so he lived down the street and he's got three kids and all of them are doctors. So my whole immediate family is doctors. And I was the only one who chose this really unique entertainment path. And so for a long time, because it took me so long to make it, I was definitely the black sheep. And my dad was really the only, my dad passed away, but my dad was really the only person who, clearly supported me and he would just be like don't worry like you're gonna be the boss of everyone like you're a star you've always been a star and like very much pushed me to follow my dreams whereas everybody else was sort of really worried about me and would constantly tell me to do things like why don't you just become like a nurse or why don't you like become an orthopedic you know PA or something like this. Like, this is what my family thought would be like my potential, right? That's like, true. don't go to med school. You're not good enough for that, but why don't you do this, right? So, uh, but I followed my dreams and it worked out.
0: So, tell me about that, about that aspect of them maybe not expecting as much from you. Did that, was there an aspect of that feeling bad at some point? Maybe it also motivated you, but tell me about the tension between.
1: Oh, yeah. That put a huge chip on my shoulder. So first, I was always sort of the bad one. You know, I grew up like Arab American. The community was really strict. I always had a boyfriend. I always wore what I want. I would party and drink. And so like my parents and my community thought of me as like the party girl. Right. Like just to be open and honest. And um But they didn't realize that behind like my Facebook profile and like, you know, me and my friends, I was working really hard for a long time, like especially like once I was in college and interning at ninety seven and I started a blog site and all this stuff, it looked really fun. But behind the scenes, I was learning how to build websites and I was hacking Twitter and I was teaching girls how to blog and doing a lot of really cool things. So they sort of didn't give me credit and they didn't see the path. Yeah. Right. And so I used to feel very embarrassed, like going to Thanksgiving and having, you know, everybody talking about they're in residency or taking their boards or doing this. And I'd feel really ashamed because I hadn't made it yet. Uh, but, you know, with time and uh, with me understanding business more and, and so on, I was able to sort of prove myself. And now everyone's very proud of of what I'm doing.
0: Well, and that's interesting because you did go to college and are going that direction. Now you just said a go a minute ago, you kind of label what your direction is or vocation in the entertainment arena. But you went to school, you dropped out, went into, you know, kind of this entertainment business. Now, and then you know, some things happened, you came back and went into went and got your MBA and then went into business. And I see you, that's kind of what I realized when I first connected with you, that you've got this outward appearance that can look somewhat entertainment, you know, focused. And yet behind the scenes, it's, I don't want to say it's all business, but you're a businesswoman there. Yeah. It did the, so, cause otherwise I would say, gosh, you're in entertainment. Why did you even go to school? Yeah, it would be yeah. a valid question to go, is it, was the MBA worth it? But then it feels like behind the scenes, that's the primary value that you would, you would cite yourself as, and I'm a businesswoman doing it in an entertainment aspect. Yeah,
1: definitely. Because it's not just the podcast, right? I've built a whole social media agency behind it. I have the number one business podcast network now. And so I've really built businesses behind the brand. Uh, so I would totally agree. And even back when I wasn't making it, I was still doing really cool business things mm-hmm. behind the scenes and kind of honing my chops. And if it wasn't for all those failures and experiences, I definitely wouldn't be as successful as I am today because so, I sort of put all those skills together to then start Yap Media, which is now the thing that really had a breakout success.
0: Okay. And what's interesting also is that, I mean, with your title, young and profiting mm-hmm. some people if they look at that title alone they'd question why you're here on the show if it was just that because that's not a focus that you know we don't talk about business per se in that what's interesting to me though is out there so you talk you know we talk about entertainment about business if i look at your instagram feed right now though and all your posts there and all your followers there and whatnot that's why you're on the show because most of what you're doing is personal development focus yeah. that's the guest you're having on the show that's the topic and which brings us back to, and I want to dig in more to this trying and this failure aspect, but I also want to know just from a, a history aspect or from your own trajectory, why? Because you could be on there just talking about business. Here's how to 10X your business. Here's branding. Here's how to you know increase your profits. Here's, a, But you're not. Most of it's the same time. You have the same guests on that I have, yeah. which is again, what's connected to us here. What sparked you to have that as your primary focus. And let let me give you a quick another comparable to Jordan Harbinger. You know, Jordan, um, he's been a friend and podcasting mentor of mine for so long. And he looks like he just has all these intriguing people, you know, mafia person and and whatever. And yet what he'll tell you is, no, I'm I'm here in the personal development business. I want to help people improve their lives. So I see you comparable to that. So uh, back to the question though, of what steered you that
1: Yeah. Well, to me, young and profiting, right? It doesn't just mean money. It's not about generating monetary profits. It's profiting in all areas of life. So profiting in your relationships, profiting in your mental health, profiting in your physical health, profiting in business, in your career, and it's profiting in all areas of life. And so when I first started the podcast. You know, now I have like this big business around it and it's a big show, it's sponsorships. My goal actually was not to monetize. I literally thought it was impossible to monetize a podcast. I didn't think that it was going to be a reality for me. I really just wanted to help people. I had known that, you know, I had failed as an entrepreneur. We can get into that story. I was doing well in corporate, had a lot of business experience, and I felt like I could get experts on the show. Who could help my audience? I was growing a profile on LinkedIn. And I just thought that with my story, uh, which was really compelling, I could probably get big guests. And I knew how to create a podcast because I was doing all the things that was a precursor to podcast for 10 years before I started Young and Profiting Podcast. And so I just figured I had the skills. I wanted to help people and be of service and I could get access to experts. And so that's why I decided to start the show.
0: Okay, so... We've mentioned failure come keeps coming up uh, constantly in this because you talk about you know even looking at your family though, if they're going after the medical profession, not that there's isn't the opportunity for failure, I mean you could go and you know not pass x, y z or whatever but there's not a whole lot. You kind of do the work, you do the right study, you make the investment of time and money. I mean, I'm not minimizing it at all. It's huge. My, my, my dearest friend is, a, is an MD. Uh, not minimize that. However, very different trajectory from what you went through as far as try and fail and try and fail and succeed and fail, you know, that's, that's unique to you. And so I am curious always on what enabled you to be able to try and fail And try again. And if we want to label that resilience or being okay with you, were you able to do that and maintain your own? It's easy to say confidence, but I almost want to say your own self worth amongst that. Or were you just so driven that you did it even though it was troubling for you? How'd you feel amongst it?
1: I feel like the reason why I kept trying and trying is because I actually really believed in myself. And I feel like you don't get at bats. You don't get opportunities and really big opportunities. I'm talking about I almost had a show on Han 97, uh, the, one of the biggest radio stations in the world. I almost had a show on Sirius XM uh, on one of the biggest like stations at the, at the uh, satellite radio station. I almost had a show on MTV where I was the lead right after Jersey Shore at the height of MTV. You don't get at bats when you suck, right? And so that gave me the confidence okay. to keep going because I was getting all these really cool opportunities. So it wasn't like it was, you know,
0: unfounded. It, it was-
1: It was like a jagged, a jagged edge towards success. You know what I mean? In terms of it it was a rocky road, but I had a lot of successes along the way that kept me motivated. And internally I had a, I had strong mental health in terms of, I really believed in abundance. I really believed that life was limitless. I really believed that I was going to do it. There was a period of time for four years where I didn't think I could make it because i had failed so many times in a row. And then I had this big reality check. That's when I went and got my MBA, went to corporate and I did really great in corporate. But then, uh, you know, by chance, I really just decided, okay, I'm going to start this podcast. And again, I had that self-belief that I could do this. And that's when I made it. So I think it was just, you know, at a period of time when I was 19 years old, that's when I really started this journey from 19 to like 28 I was like adamant about that I was going to be a star and really, really believed it until MTV shot a pilot with us for, you know, a whole summer. And then I got rejected. And that was after being rejected from Hot 97 and Sirius XM and then then MTV. And then I was like, oh, gosh, like I'm getting too old to not make money and I got to figure this out. And that's why I got my MBA, went to corporate and got like started getting six figures and, you know, built a career. Um, because I felt like I had my back against the wall and and I couldn't fail personally, right? And so I felt like the only way that was like a surefire way was to just go into corporate and be normal, right? And so I did that.
0: Okay, it's curious to me because I hear an honor, you know, a strong mental health. You said you you had a feeling of abundance, which we could say is. You know, an aspect of genetics and also just your upbringing. You saw that obviously in your, in, in your family and you said a good self-belief, but I wanna play with that a little bit because it's interesting. We wanna have, we would wanna say that we should have a good self-belief, feel good self-worth no matter what, even if we fail. Okay, that's what we would say. This is personal development, right? Okay, we would say that you should have that. And yet the proof of what happens in our lives it's just so hard to deny that. And so I'm hearing you saying that you struggle with that, even with that self-belief, even with that abundance, when you had a a track record for a time of failure, you start to doubt that, or that comes into question. And so uh, what I'm hearing is what you did then is go after some things that you could succeed at, almost to kind of prove it to yourself, kind of to get, get you back up. Fair?
1: Yeah. And I feel like at some point you have to be responsible. Right. And so I just felt like, all right, well, it's time for me to, you know, put my big girl pants on and hold. I didn't realize I was holding. I thought I was stopping forever, but at least hold this dream so I could make some money and, you know, regain confidence. And that's what I did, right? I crushed it in corporate. I, got, I graduated 4.0 on my MBA, top of my class. Compared to my undergrad, I graduated with a 2.3, like barely graduated, right? So it's like I totally proved to myself that I could do it and then did really well in corporate and started making six figures, was like the C-suite pet and, you know, was the face of the young employees at Hewlett Packard and then later went to Disney and did a great job there too. And so, you know, I had to prove that to myself and also get the skills and confidence back because I had a lot of confidence as a young girl getting a job at Hot 97, getting an MTV, like, you know, basically a show on MTV. Of course, that gave me confidence. But all those failures made me realize, like, I really got to work on myself. I really got to figure out my career. I got to make my parents proud. Like, I've been doing this for, you know, six, seven years, and it's sort of... Hasn't panned out. I got to figure something out that's gonna actually sustain myself. Yeah, because I'm I was entering like like you know my later twenties and I felt like okay like I can't just play around anymore. I got to get serious and and figure out my career.
0: It's interesting. I was gonna ask you because again I, I'm talking asking you as an individual, but you also work with, coach, consult, mentor so many people, and especially in your uh, demographic. And I was going to ask what you look for as predictors of success in someone, in essence, because we could look at, you know, knowledge and skill and brilliance and experience, and whatever. And then also, and I, these are the, my notes, and I might come to what you just said, though. Or, and or, you know, confidence, resilience, optimism, grace, whatever. But usually you use the word responsibility, uh, which is a hot button word for me. Where would you, so as I, as I say that predictors of success, I'm going to say, gosh, when I hear your story, I'm going to say that would be the key quality that may, would it be, would you agree with that is responsibility. You took responsibility for yourself. Cause you know, we're in a culture right now where that is lacking.
1: Yeah. I think it's a big part of it, but I really think my success has to do with me keep like the drive and the daily action and the consistency, Um, I think in everything that I do, I always give 110%. And I'm always, you know, working extra hard, putting in the extra hours. I'm definitely, I'm really smart, but it's because I've got so much experience, right? And I've put in the work, I've put in the hours, I get obsessed with things, right? I got obsessed with podcasting, for example, I learned everything about it, I probably know more about podcasting, there's probably like, 10 other people who know more about podcasting than me. That's how I really feel. Same thing with LinkedIn. I figured out everything about it and I became like the number one expert. So I think my success has to do with getting so obsessed with something that I learn every single thing about it that I need to learn. And then I just take relentless action. And I'm also really good at recruiting teams that help me take relentless action so that I can 10X, 20X everything that I'm doing. And so from the start, Uh, you know, when I was an intern at hot 97, I was like queen of the interns. I then, you know, had a blog site where I was managing 50 to 150 girls at any given time. I had 150 girls at any given time working for free for me, blogging for a site, hosting parties for me that I would train and volunteer. Then when I started my podcast, I had 20 people who worked for free for me for two years. Now I have 60 employees at Yap Media. So it's like, I just, for a long time, when I didn't have money, I was able to recruit volunteers to help me grow everything. And then once I had money, obviously like it's a different story. I'm paying everybody, but it's like that ability to motivate others to help me with my mission uh, has really gotten me really far. So I also think that's a secret of my success is like the ability to motivate others to work alongside my
0: mission. That's interesting. You know, we had Patrick Lencioni on the show not long ago and he has his working genius profile. One of the Two, four, six, eight. I think he had eight categories. One of them is galvanizing the ability to kind of inspire Mm -hmm. and get people to, I, I can do it, but it doesn't give me energy. It's not, if I can offload it, I will. It's not my great, it's not my working genius. And it sounds like that's one that you would put at the top of your list.
1: One hundred percent. I feel like I've in every, I've done, I've had so many examples of doing that. And I definitely don't think I would have grown this podcast by myself or anything that I've done. I couldn't have done by myself. It was really the ability to motivate others to help me.
0: All right. Well, tell me about so another aspect of this, you know, failure, trying, whatnot. I mentioned Babe Ruth, you know, early on. It's, it's a great analogy, and we would say, I mean, I think he's who he kind of refer to as, you know, always swing for the fence, always go go big, go home. We all know that kind of thing. Yeah. And it feels like you have been able to do that. But I'm going to say, did you, were you able to, because you had faith that things would work out as we know a lot of people don't man if i go all in and and things don't work out i'll be destroyed i'll be wrecked which i don't have a whole lot of stories of people who do that i don't have a whole lot of friends you go yeah he was an entrepreneur he went out and tried something totally failed and now he's literally homeless I, I don't know a story like that maybe it happened but you know that that's what we feel a lot and so in that do you tend to be like that to, to i'm going to go all out but it's also because there's a faith that you know it, if things totally go upside down, I'm not going to, I'm not going to die. I'll still be here.
1: Yeah. I think that I always had, you know, the confidence to keep trying. And I always knew just based on my past experience that as long as I work hard and take action every single day and have a plan and have faith that things are, life is limitless and I can achieve whatever I want to achieve. There's a good chance that I'm going to at least get very close to getting what I want. And if not, I'll at least have learned a lot of skills along the way. And so I definitely always believed that I could do anything so long as I worked hard. Like one thing that I think differentiates me from other people who start a podcast or want to become an influencer is that I really put in the work. You know what I mean? I really put in the consistency and the daily actions and it didn't happen overnight. I put in the work and learned everything I needed to learn to ensure that I would have success. So I think it's more of ensuring to do the hard work understanding that a lot of things is just a volume game like for example getting big guests it's just making sure you send out a a massive amount of emails to get them getting sponsors for my show i make sure i have a volume of what i just do the work to make sure that i can get whatever result that i need
0: Yahoofinance.com Oh, okay. We'll speak to that. You know that's a hot topic out there right now, is the hustle culture. And you've got some people saying, you know, you need to work 24 hours a day, and some saying no, you don't. You need to work smart, but not that, you know, it's not that your whole life is nothing but work, which we were talking a little bit about play before we got on the mics here. Tell me where you fall there. Cause I mean, the hard work, I mean, you got to put in the hours, like you said, you got to put in the volume. And yet there's also, it seems like there's a lot of uh, controversy right now around the hustle culture. What's your take on it?
1: Well, I think that everybody has their own ultimate goals. So everybody has the amount of success that they want to achieve. Everybody has, you know, their personal definition of success. And while I think that it's not healthy to hustle forever, I definitely think that especially in your 20s and 30s, you should be sacrificing 5, 10 years where you're just basically working if you really want to be successful and if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, for example. So for me... For four or five years, literally, all I did was work. I worked every single weekend. I worked 18-hour days for a long time. I was working a corporate job plus had a big podcast. And so literally 18-hour days, hustled with two jobs um, and just worked my butt off. Now, it's not the healthiest thing with relationships. Luckily, I had a partner that also was working really hard. So I got to do it with somebody who also was... Hustling. Right. And that's pretty important to have a support, a support system with somebody else who's in the same mentality. But I believe that sacrifice temporarily is good. Right. Sacrifice temporarily can really help you set up your life so that later on. You can do whatever you want. Now, you know, I have no meeting Wednesdays. I don't have any meetings on Wednesdays. I can go get my nails done. I can go get a facial. I can go do whatever I want on Wednesdays. Now, I never work on Saturdays and Sundays. If my team tries to get me to work on Saturdays and Sundays, I usually push back. Sometimes I will if I absolutely have to. But I definitely try to enjoy my time. I definitely try to, you know, shut off my computer after 7 p.m. I used to work till midnight every night. And so sometimes if I have to still, I will do that because I want to succeed and I have a really ambitious goals for myself. But because I did all this setup and for four or five years, all I did was work. I'm set up for success now. I've trained other people. I've got money in the bank. There's I don't need to, you know, keep spinning my wheels And I think it's important because some people refuse to sacrifice ever and then wonder why they haven't really built anything because it takes sacrifice to build something and it doesn't have to be forever. But temporarily, I do believe that sacrifice is a good thing.
0: Well, I appreciate you using the word temporarily there because it feels like we have a polarized view of it. Somebody who's just, yeah, they're not going to do what it takes. And then somebody who devotes their life to the 18 hour days and it never stops. And we know a lot of people like that. And that seems to get the attention instead of here. And, you know, I remember uh, building my home years ago. We didn't have the time, money, we didn't have the skill. And yet we wanted this big house for our kids in the woods. And for a nine month period, I stayed out there. I mean, they would come and visit, but I I literally stayed out there. I'd help the guys. We'd work during the days on the house. And then I'd go into the trailer with my internet or my uh, satellite internet, which sucked back then (laughs) and do my business to keep the lights on whatnot. And it was so hard to make that sacrifice, especially with family, take time away from family. Mm -hmm. And then it ended. You get your certificate. Anybody who's built a house, you get your certificate of occupancy and all that work resulted in a house. We moved in and the next day we're in the house. I'm not building it anymore. I got a lot of time. I can work on my business, play with the kids. So I appreciate the temper. I feel like we miss that in this hustle culture. It's like, Oh, you either do it or you don't. Well, how about you do it for what I hear you saying? How about you do it for a time to get to this place? And then maybe you don't have to as much, or maybe you get to take a break for a little while and you'll do it again. Like you talked about.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing to to note is that like really you can't build anything without focus and consistency. And also it depends on your timeline. I was trying to do something enormous. I wanted a number one podcast. I wanted an award-winning social media agency. I didn't want to do it over 10 years. I wanted it now, you know? And so I put in the time. You can also build something slowly and not sacrifice. But if you really want something big and build something, usually it takes like consolidated time and focus. And that's that requires sacrifice. And that's why it's really important to try to do those things in your 20s and 30s, maybe before you start a family, because once you bring in kids and all these things, it's a different story. So now I'm thinking about family and having kids and all this kind of stuff. But it's only because I'm ready. I've done all the work. And I think it's even more tricky for women to try to prioritize their time and make sure they're able to sort of build something before they're a mother and so on, because I think it's really hard once, you, once you become a mother and have a family.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm not going to advocate one way or the other, but I can justify <laughs> on the other side that having a kid at, what was I? 23. I think, uh, sometimes I look back and go, bro, you could have, you know, taken a couple of years to make some money first.
1: <laughs> it does
0: make it, it makes it work. Yeah.
1: I think either way you, you can make it, but yeah. it's yeah. helpful to, to, to get your foundation I, before that happens.
0: I, I, I have some feelings for that. Yeah, for sure. Tell me about the, uh, you know, if we're talking about hustle culture, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on the, in essence, the plan B. I mean, there's a consummate business thing. Go all in. That's been my history, Holla, for the most part is, I mean, you're going to go all in, you know, go, go commit. And I have some really good testimony for that where I'm, I'm a proponent of it. And I have some where I, I question that, you know, kind of like, don't keep your, your day job. And I think in my past, I've motivated some people maybe errantly that man, it just quit it. Go all in and, and, and go gangbusters. I think they, they could have used a little bit of a, a side hustle for a while, which I know you talk about. But it, you know, I think it's contextual. So it's not. I'm not looking for a black and white. You should always do this. You should always do that. But on the plan B thing, you know, that gets a lot of mileage, a lot of real estate in the personal development and the in the business development world. Go all in. Tell me about your feelings on that one.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to start off with uh, one of my clients, social media clients, is Matt Higgins. He used to be on Shark Tank, and he's got this book called Burn the Boats. Um, I don't know if you spoke to him about it, but basically the concept is, you know, in wartime back in the day, military leaders, when they would send their troops off to war, they would burn the boats. So there was no way to retreat <sighs> because they knew they would fight for their lives if they burned the boats. So there's one perspective yep. that's go all in, have no plan B because you're going to try harder. I think that's okay if you're in the position to do that, if you've saved up money, if you don't have many responsibilities, if you're like, you know, you've tested your idea, you feel like there's legs with it and, you know, you're really confident, go for that and do it. You know what I mean? Burn the boats and don't have a plan B. But for me, um, when I started Yap, uh, you know, Young and Profiting podcast. I had already failed as an entrepreneur. I had a a website, a blog site. I had failed in terms of like being a radio personality. Um, Yap was my fifth or sixth show. The other ones had failed. And um, I had an event business with my blog site that failed. So I had lots of failures. And I was finally in a very steady corporate career and doing really well in corporate. So I was not ready to give up that corporate job. And I had a lot of... Uh, anxiety about letting go of my corporate job. So I built Young and Profiting for two years as a side hustle. And I'd wake up super early, work on my podcast. Like I said, I had a team of 20 volunteers in a Slack channel. I would teach them how to do everything. So I had a big podcast almost from the start. But I had this team that was enabling me to work during the day in corporate. And then I would come home from work, make dinner for my boyfriend, and then you know keep working. Right. And so I did this for two years. And then Um, when COVID hit, I found myself with more time. I was working at Disney at the time. I had no commute and a lot of the guests that would come on my show, uh, they would continually ask me when the show was over, they'd be like, Hala, how did you grow your LinkedIn profile? I'm one of the biggest influencers on LinkedIn. Uh, Hala, how did you grow your your podcast? Can you do this for me? You know, I want to start a podcast or I want to start a LinkedIn profile. Can you do this for me? And I'd always be like, no, you know, I'm sorry. I have a great corporate career. I just have a volunteer team, no bandwidth. I can teach you how to do it, like maybe on the weekends, but like I definitely don't have time to do it for you. Until finally during COVID um, and my dad got COVID and was sick in the hospital at this time when I decided uh, that I was going to start my business, Yap Media, I decided to start a social media agency and Heather Monahan, which I know we were talking offline, you were about to go on her show. She was my first client and actually she pushed me. Uh, I was very adamant about not doing her social media, but she kept messaging. Like I had really cool videos on LinkedIn and she kept commenting like, I need you to do my videos. I need you to do my videos. And so I would set up these weekend meetings with her to try to teach her how to make her own videos because I still was refusing to do her videos. And then she was like, Hala, like, I literally have a contract that I could sign from VaynerMedia. I want to give this money to you instead. Your stuff is better than his stuff. And I believe in you. Like, you have to start a business. Trust me. You got this. Like, I want to be your mentor. I'll, I'll help you start it. I want to be your first client. And so she basically uh, pushed me. And I was like, okay, you know what? I have no commute anymore. I used to commute an hour back and forth to work. I was stuck at home because we were working from home. I was depressed. My dad was in the hospital, basically dying in front of my eyes and I needed a distraction. And so I was like, okay, um, I'll try it. And so we crushed it for her. We ended up taking over her podcast. And then my second client was a billionaire. Uh, his name is Jason Waller, CEO of Power Home Solar. And it was a $30,000 monthly retainer and changed my life. All of a sudden, I was able to hire my whole team basically um, I was able to hire more resources internationally and things like that. Then my next client was Kara Golden, the CEO of Hintwater. I took over her stuff. Then I took over Hintwater's marketing. Then I took over 1-800-GOT-JUNK, his the CEO's profile and all his marketing. And it, just huge contracts. At the time, the economy, I don't know, people were really spending money at the time. So I was making like over, well over 100 grand a month Three months into starting my side hustle, like my real uh, my podcast at the time was not making any money yet. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, I created this whole business for my podcast and my volunteer team. And I was still working at Disney. It took me six months to quit my job. And really what pushed me over the edge to quit my job is I got an interview with Matthew McConaughey and I got on the cover of Podcast Magazine and I was making so much money, I decided... I, there's more opportunity for me to leave my job than to stay, but it took me a long time to actually, I was basically building this whole business while working in corporate yeah. and I had all these huge clients already, but I, I, it just took me a long time because I was so scared of failure. But once I knew there was basically no risk, I quit my job and, and became a full-time entrepreneur.
0: I appreciate you saying that you were still at that point, still scared of failure. I mean, it's still there. You weren't immune to it. And your story right there is amazing. I knew a little bit about Heather. I didn't know about the other contracts, uh, and it sounds like I hear somebody going, "Oh gosh, wasn't she lucky?" And my thought is, yeah, luck as the de- my favorite definition when preparation meets opportunity. You've been preparing your butt off, doing the things that nobody else would do, and then when the opportunity arose, you were ready for that. I want people to. I hope that uh, you know uh, my audience not only listens to this but shares it with their younger counterparts uh, as well because this is a message we're not seeing out there a whole lot we're not hearing the behind the scenes of it we may hear the hustle we don't hear the motive we don't hear the gosh the resilience i mean you are showing showcasing a good aspect of this aspect of resilience but i don't i don't think we hear a whole lot about in this business context you know brene brown's talking about it on an, an emotional side but it doesn't reach over here. And you're talking a lot about that as you talk about failure and achievement and the motives behind it is resilience. I hadn't had that in mind to bring up, but that's where I find us. So yeah, tell me, give me your thoughts there as you see this. I mean, you're and again, you're seeing a lot of people, a lot of your peers that you're even helping. And uh, I hear a lot about resilience coming from your story.
1: Yeah, 100%. I feel like I just always picked myself back up and kept trying, whether that was as an entrepreneur, whether that was as a corporate professional, whether that was trying another show with a different angle, you know, and I think one thing that is important to note is that I also wasn't afraid to quit when something wasn't working.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to interrupt you. It's literally my next note here is, is on quitting. So you just, you just stole my thunder or you just entered, you opened the door for it. Are you ready? That was it. Quit because yeah, you did. So tell me about that. Keep going with the story. But cause we also have that. Yeah. You know, it's the old Winston Churchill. Never, never, never give up. And there's a lot of times when I'm realizing in the past, dude, you should have stopped that that vehicle though so you never quit on the overall goal you were clear on your overall vision that you never did quit on but yeah now come back to where you were that there were some 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 of the what would you say vehicles methodologies that you absolutely needed to quit and go for a different one to achieve the overall thing that you were not going to quit on fair 100%.
1: 100%. So like, I'll give you like the best example I have is, so I had built this thing that we didn't really talk about called the sorority of hip hop. And I built this really popular website at, like I said, had 150 bloggers in and out of three years, we built an event business. We were host parties and concerts and things like this. And I was literally famous in the tri-state area. I would get shouted out on the radio every day. I was really popular on Twitter and I decided to shut it down. And all my best friends were in this organization. Um, my whole identity was tied with it. I decided to shut it down and go dark. And I stopped posting on social media. And I started caring more about philanthropy and raising money for, like, f- philanthropies. And I went into corporate. And I focused on my education. I focused on myself. I basically went like totally dark for like four years. And I just worked on myself. I gained skills, I gained confidence, I gained, you know, I had never really had a corporate job. So imagine entering the corporate world, 27, 28, never having a corporate job, being like a girl that hosted parties and had a, a blog site. And somehow I crushed it in corporate because I was just, I learned everything on the internet. So I was so much more tech savvy than everybody else. I had so much more insight about social media than everybody else and videos and graphic design and all these self-taught skills that I had. I ended up crushing it in corporate, but it was like a really big kick in the butt for me because it's like, I learned how to communicate properly. I learned how to write emails. I learned how to be a professional and corporate taught me a lot. And had I not quit and actually learned on the dime of Hewlett Packard and Disney, I definitely don't think I'd be as successful as I am today. I I appreciate all my experiences because I don't think I'd be as tech savvy and like really good at marketing had I not learned on my own trying to build a website and blow up on social media as a young girl, right? So I'm happy with all my different experiences, but had I just kept going at it with the sorority of hip hop, even though it's like, it was just not the past for me. Right. And I knew it. And I knew I had to work on myself first and make money and build a foundation for me so I could have the confidence to then build something greater later on. But it was really hard to quit that, especially when you have many people who are looking up to me and who are really disappointed in me. I lost almost all of my friends because they were all in this group with me and I I they were so mad at me and I became like the villain and I just did it because I knew that that's what I needed for myself.
0: Okay, what's interesting there, years ago I had an organization helping people who wanted to transition out of traditional Employment into self-employment. And so we created this online community with the things you would expect, you know, finances and branding and websites and all that, all that jazz. And yet over time, as people came into this, we kept going further and further and further. And a couple and years into it, then it's mainly personal development. I'm thinking this is supposed to be about business, about building a business, becoming an entrepreneur, and the hangups that I would see. The things because we come up with an idea that fit the person, and we'd find an opportunity in the marketplace, and we can put a brand around that, and we can get a product or service out there in the market, and yet the hangup when somebody would they're not progressing, and it would come to this personal issue, a limiting belief, you know, whatever you want to call it, was a personal. And so here we are as at the forefront this business uh, business. business of business. And yet it was personal development, which brings me back to where we kind of started here that here you have, if I look on your website right now, young and profiting, and we look on your Instagram, which everybody can go there right now, young, young and profiting go there. And you'll see a lot of overlapping guests that I have here talking on, you know, emotions and on resilience and these types of things. And that's what you're talking about. And, I didn't know that story though. That that's what you did, even as you were trying to progress into business. I see you're saying I took somewhat of a four year. It's a college degree time, you know, four years to go get your get your personal affairs in order, to figure yourself out. To kind of, I mean, we're we're kind of like on Maslow's hierarchy. To go, you went after self actualization. You're down here mm-hmm. trying to kick, you know, kick butt and and make a living, and you stopped and went up here and went after self actualization school. Is that my tracking?
1: Yeah, 100%. I needed to work on myself so that I, I could – and at the time, I didn't realize that I was going to go back to my dreams and give this podcasting thing a shot. I didn't even really think about podcasts at all. I was just trying to make some money and and be responsible like we were talking about before and just set myself up for success. Right. So uh, to your point, you know, definitely was just trying to self-actualize and have the foundations I needed to be successful. And had I not done that, I definitely don't think that any of this would have happened.
0: I am going to take the opportunity on a kind of a more business uh, track here, Hala, to ask you about branding. I know that's one of the things that you do for your clients, but even to your own personal story, a lot of this sounds like a journey of you figuring yourself out, figuring out what you want, Mm -hmm. figuring out what you want in what category, in what task roles, duties, responsibilities and figuring out your own personal brand in essence. And now that concept that you've pursued personally is now your business as well. And you have succeeded. Well, I'm looking at you a lot. We have been, you know, we've had some talks offline and stuff, looking at business and podcasting and I'm looking at you and yeah, I've been doing this for a long, I've been, you've been doing it a long time. I've been doing it even longer. And yet I look at you and I think, "What? Well, she just surpassed me really fast. Mm-hmm. And you know, this branding stuff and I continue to come back to it in business and especially with podcasting right now that we can have great content. This is what I'm seeing even with my my myself. I mean we've done well, but uh we can do weller. And to look at that I go it's not our content. It's not it's not great conversations like this that are just going to organically make my show go through the roof. I have to go play the game and you and I have talked about that. It's frustrating to me somewhat. Of okay, really? I've got everybody said, you know, my guests say, Oh my gosh, this is the best show ever. The listeners often say, Oh my gosh, this changed my life. And I'm thinking, well, great, why aren't we getting as many listens as Rogan? Well, we're not. And he's playing the game well. And you have done a really good job with that. So, with that said, that preface, talk to talk to me about your perspective on branding, on taking somebody, and again, no matter how good their content, their product, or service. What has to happen in the marketplace right now as far as communicating well your brand so that people can or want to associate themselves with you?
1: Yeah. So um, I have a framework. Um, I have a two-day LinkedIn masterclass. And day one is really all about developing your personal brand. And I have a framework that I go through. And uh, first of all, you've got to define your values. So your values are your decision-making compass. It's how you think, the actions that you take, especially when things are not going your way, when you can't think logically, right? So you come up with your key values. The other thing you need to determine is your audience. Whose problem are you trying to solve? What are these people like? What are their interests? What's their demographics? Really understanding your audience because what you need to do is actually mirror your audience with your personality if you wanna be magnetic. And when you think about branding, really, you're trying to become an old friend to people who don't know you. And in order to become an old friend, you need to be consistent, consistent in every action that you take online. So every single word that you write in your bio, in your profile, in your title, in your captions, in your comments, in your DMs, everything has to be consistent. Your visuals have to be consistent. So branding is consistency. And in order to have a strong personal brand, you need to understand what you want to be perceived as and really map that out before you even get started with content, because Otherwise, you're a big mess and nobody knows who you are, what you stand for, and you're not consistent. So back to the framework, personality, what people get wrong is they try to just go out with their own personality. But really, you need to mirror your audience. If you want to attract a certain audience, people like people who are like them. So you need to make sure that you're mirroring the things that they would say, the tone that they would use, the words that they would use, the things that they like to talk about. That's what you have to think about when you're thinking about your personality. Um, And then a very key part of this is the impact you want to make with your audience, the transformation that you want to take them on, the key messages that you're going to repeat over and over and over again in a thousand different ways. So for example, for me, life is limitless. You're never too old or too young to learn something new. Um, These are some examples of messages that I'll communicate with stories, with motivational quotes, with the people that I have on my show, with my own person, like with like, All these different ways that I can tell those messages over and over and over again. And then lastly, how are you gonna deliver that message? Are you going to post videos? Are you going to post quotes? Are you going to, like, what are you going to do? What are the stories that you have that relate to these messages? How are you going to prepare yourself for success so that you can deliver on the impact that you're trying to make with your audience? So all of this is how you create a strong personal brand. And again, it's about stepping back and realizing how you want to be perceived so that then your face, your name represents more than you as a person. So for example, on LinkedIn, I'm one of the biggest influencers and I do this for all my clients too. Um, your face is a very powerful tool. And when you're first starting out on social media, people don't want to share your face because you don't represent anything other than your name. And over time, when people get used to your face and used to your messages and what you represent, you become more than your name, your face. You become, you represent an idea to them. You represent, and I, you inspire them. You, you represent uh, the the transformation and the impact that you want to make with your audience. Then people start to share your image on autopilot because your face represents hope for them. And so, uh, on LinkedIn, for example, I can post something up and put a picture of my face, and I'll get hundreds, if not sometimes thousands, of shares because people are not scared of sharing my face because I represent something bigger to them because I've done such a great job with consistent branding.
0: Okay, I want to stick here, okay? You just gave everybody, if you're listening, you just got like a three or four minute masterclass in branding right now. And because I want to emphasize again that I've seen this shift. I'm old enough, I've been in this long enough that there was a time. Well, I think that my show did well initially and got us to the place where we are now because we had really good content. I don't think that's working anymore. Uh, Well, I'll ask you, do you see that as well? I mean, there's so many people out there, especially in, let's just look at podcasting. I could say this, I think in, you know, uh, business-wide, but let's say in podcasting right now, there's people putting out great content. There's really established names, you know, authors and experts and personalities who are coming on. They're putting out incredible content and I hear it all the time. Their shows are going nowhere. That is, that is not going on. I mean, unless they have, you know, some big list somewhere else, some big audience uh, somewhere else, but even that somebody who's written a book and it's sold a zillion copies, if they haven't made an email list or they haven't gained an audience, now they come out with a podcast, it's crickets. And I hear it over Mm -hmm. and over. So the good content is unfortunately to me, no longer working. We have to go play this game. And yet, I guess I want you to play with or speak to because I am not you. I am not Hala. I don't have a pretty face like you, not to just make it that. I'm not animated. I'm not, you know, I, I don't have that uh, charisma, even in a sense. I mean, I think I have my own, but speak to that because if we hear your message right there and go, oh gosh, now I have to go do, I have to mirror you. And you're saying, no, that's not, well, one, you're saying that's not legit because that may not mirror my audience. So tell me about that, about doing it in a way that is, let's use the word authentic, that is authentic to you, your audience, your age, your personality, your spirit, authentic to you, but still meets the criteria of what's got to happen out there if it's going to grow.
1: Yeah, this is great. Uh, There's one thing that I just want to dispel that you just said. Okay. It has nothing to do with what you look like. One of my clients right. that is the most successful person on LinkedIn, his name is Marshall Goldsmith. He's almost 80 years old and an old man, right. and he's got way more followers and engagement than I do, right? And so it has right. nothing to do with what you look like. Thanks. The other thing that I want to say is that everybody has their own unique relationship with their audience. So this is something else that I go over in my masterclass. So if you think about your relationship with your audience, that will really help you identify and be authentic. So for example, I am a mentor. Okay. And I chose that word because I teach people, I help people, but I'm also their peer. I also am willing to take advice myself and interact with my community in a way that also feels like a peer. Mm -hmm. So I'm a mentor. Now, some people are experts and they, they're more, you know, confident. They might be talking to their audience, not necessarily with their audience because that's what feels authentic to them. They might be a little bit more, uh, Stiff is not the right word, but like not as friendly or bubbly, right? Now, you could be a reporter. Let's say you don't have a lot of experience. Uh, but you're going to interview other people and your role is to be a reporter. You could be a cheerleader or a hype man or a hype woman. And your job is to kind of pump up your audience or a coordinator. And your job is to just put people together. So you need to think about what that relationship is with your audience. And that kind of sets the things that you talk about in the way that you talk about them with your audience. Right. And then if you take your key personality trait and you kind of rank your personality traits, uh, for example, my number one personality trait is inspiring um and so my brand persona is an inspiring mentor but you can be like a confident expert you can be a bubbly hype woman right so it just really depends on your top personality traits Uh, what you think resonates with your audience and the relationship that you want to have with them. And then you can start to communicate and be authentic in your own role. Now, the other thing that I want to talk about related to like somebody who's creating content. Mm -hmm. This is something that I see that a lot of people get wrong. And that's only focusing on the content and the production. You need to be equally as focused on the promotion. So it's 50% production. 50% promotion. And I would much rather somebody spend less time on content and more time understanding how to market that content to their target audience. And that takes a lot of creativity and effort and closing the loop. Right. And so this is what people get wrong in podcasts. You can be a huge celebrity and you can have a lot of following on social media and you can post your micro clips about your podcasts on social media and in YouTube and all the right places. You can have great titles, uh, show notes. You could do all the work and still get no results. And that's because you need to close the loop in marketing. You need to make it very easy for people to go from social to your podcast. You need to be visible where people are listening to podcasts and understand the tactics that work for whatever platform you're trying to figure out. So whether it's the audio apps and understanding the algorithm with the audio apps and how to rank or understanding how to pull people from social to your audio apps by leveraging the DMs or understanding how to advertise with podcast players to be visible to people who are already listening to podcasts who are most likely to subscribe in the, with the least friction, right? So there's all these things that you need to think about aside from just the content. The content is key but I can make somebody successful with mediocre content so long as they're willing to do the marketing work. Um, And a lot of people do, if you have amazing content, there's a chance you're going to be spread by word of mouth, but you need to be discoverable. And so there's lots of different factors that you need to think about. It's not just the content, unfortunately, because there's there's too much competition and too many people who are working on the marketing competing with you.
0: Thank you. That's what I was fishing for. And again, admittedly, it's because I'm learning that lesson the hard way going from where it felt like content was enough. And now we've evolved to this place and it feels like it is not, we're putting out, you know, of course the shows do well, but then on social media, we just, not much has happened. And we put this great stuff, you know, I think on Instagram and we've got, you know, it's the followers aren't growing that much. We don't get a whole lot of attention. And I just, it's interesting. Just before we came on, I got a note from my, uh, from my team as they're trying to increase what we're doing there that they did. I didn't, I don't even know what it is. Holla don't laugh at me, but they did a collaboration uh, with yeah. somebody yeah, on Instagram with Vienna Farron, who just did a show with me last week. And it's got like 17 and a half thousand views in, in no nice. time at night. Nice. Yeah. I, it, and that's just, I mean, that's totally different. There's the marketing aspect of that, of what's going to take what it was good content to begin with. But if we didn't do the marketing, Nobody sees it. And that's what I'm coming back to. And you said probably four times in what you just talked about, you're the relationship you want with your audience. Again, I'm going to be candid. That's what I missed. All these years of putting out good content, thank goodness it was good content with great people and our show grew to the level it has, uh, has gotten to now. But I did not do a really good job of giving the audience focus and creating that relationship. So I'm doing that now, but I wish I had in the past because without that, yeah, I'm seeing that we just start to plateau and whatnot. So speak to that again, because it's, it feels like just like the, okay, it's great to create the content, 50%, you know, create it, but now you got to go or produce it. Now you got to put 50% into marketing that I've got an audience or we've got an audience, somebody you're speaking to. But just putting stuff out, or you said, you said, you know, just talking to them out here is not working. We've got to connect with them and build that relationship. Mm -hmm. And that is not, it's not my strong suit, at least not online. I mean, there's a methodology to that, that that's what you do. But speak to that again of the intentional aspect of, okay, you don't just talk to them. You've got to create a relationship because I'm seeing that that's something specific and unique that we don't just naturally come to.
1: Yeah, 100%. And you've got to do this, especially on platforms that are two-way communication, right? So if you think about an audio podcast, it's you really can't talk to your audience. It's one-way communication and that's what it is. Maybe you'll get feedback and reviews and so on, but it's not two-way communication. On a platform that has two-way communication, you have the ability to get closer to your audience so that they can do the action that you want them to do. So I'll give you a couple examples and let's take podcasting as an example, but this could be anything, right? I'll give a couple examples for people who are not podcasters too. So if you're a podcaster, a lot of people, they've got this strategy of creating clips on their social media and they use that as a way to promote their show. And maybe they have their link in their bio on Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. But the thing is, is that you're asking a lot of people, first of all, you're putting something out on social media where 50% of people on social media don't even listen to podcasts. So you have to convince 50% of people to listen to your podcast who are just scrolling by, right? And then you're expecting somebody to go as far to click the link in your bio, find the episode that you promoted and cross your fingers that they're going to download it. That is asking way too much work of your audience. You need to make it as easy as possible for them. So if somebody's liking and commenting on your video, they're raising their hand and it's permission-based marketing. They're basically saying, I'm interested in the content that you shared. I showed an action. I liked or commented or shared your video. You need to them re you, you need to retarget those people in the DMs. And then you can give them a direct link to your episode. So my team is doing this all day. Wow. If anybody is liking and commenting on our videos, we're closing the loop, we're then DMing them and saying, "Hey, I noticed that you liked my recent clip with Alex Ramirez." if you enjoyed this clip, you're going to love the episode. Here's the link. Then we give them a, a chartable link that directly goes to the episode no matter what app they use. So if they use Spotify, it goes to the Spotify app. If they goes, if they use Apple, it goes to Apple. So I literally make it seamless for them. Then we follow up again. I, let me know how you liked it. We always end it with a question. So what I'm doing, I'm giving common ground They took the first action. They're never going to say, screw you. Don't DM me. You're spamming me because they took the first action. So I noticed that you engaged on my post. I think you may. So also, I'm not saying you will like because people like to prove people wrong. So if you say you may like my episode or I think you may be interested, people are going to be like, oh, this is kind of her for reaching out to me. Right. Let me know how you like it. Most people are going to respond back. Hey, I really love the episode. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Yab Fam. I hope you subscribe to always keep up. And if they say something really nice, like it was an amazing episode, I loved you did X, Y, Z. Can you copy and paste this as an Apple podcast review? Here's a link to my rate this podcast, right? Then I get them to write a review. So it's like taking them through this whole funnel and they feel like you've you know made their day, you've, you've interacted with them. Now, the other benefit of this is on almost every social media platform, LinkedIn, Instagram, if you DM somebody, They start to see your content at the top of their feed because it signals to the algorithm that you guys are friends. So they start to see your stories. They start to see your posts more often. And now you've created a super fan that is going to, and then the continue to like your stuff. And, you know, you don't want to message them over and over if they've already subscribed. But, you know, you can think, thank you so much for liking my comment. I hope you're still enjoying the show, right? So you're continually engaging them in the DMs so that they keep seeing your content. And it's this like flywheel effect. You're creating a community. So that is one way to sort of close the loop and get subscribers.
0: Well, you mentioned, thank you for that. And you mentioned earlier talking about Heather Monahan and... That initially you kept trying to teach her this stuff, and ultimately she, in essence, was saying, "Dude, I'm not going to learn. You, will you just do, can I pay you to do that?" And I want people to hear that that there is a lot that they can learn on their own and try to implement on their own, or they can go and pay and have that done, which I'm finding more and more people doing, especially in the podcast space, because it is, it, I'm just listening to you. It feels overwhelming. Like, okay, I mean, I get it conceptually, but holy smokes, really? I'm going to do all, you know, that's going to happen. You've got a machine that does that. And I didn't necessarily intend to, you know, promote the machine of, of yet, yeah, but I'm happy to, that that is a place that you are somebody that people can contact. And I assume that if you're, you know, a great fit, Fine. If not, you've got other people that you can refer them to, but those who don't want to go, well, for both sides, hey, I do want to learn this, that you have a place for them to go and learn this, some resources, or man, I just want this done for me, that you've got some resources for that.
1: Yeah. So, in terms of agency services, I have YAP Media, which is an award-winning agency. We typically work with authors, speakers, best-selling, uh, you know, celebrities, things like this. So, if you fit that bucket, if you feel like you you really want to grow your personal brand, you've got success in other areas, we can definitely help you. Uh, we're known as the number one LinkedIn marketing agency. We're excellent on Instagram, and then we create podcasts, right? So, growing podcasts. And then uh, also monetizing podcasts. So one of the things we didn't talk about is I have a podcast network that is like growing really rapidly. I have amazing business shows in my network, Greg McEwen, Amy Marin, Trent Shelton, The Investors Network, Scott Clary, Jennifer Cohen, Heather Monahan. I've got all these podcasters that are business podcasts and I grow and monetize their shows. And so if you have a big podcast, I can help you with that. And then specifically for LinkedIn, I launched a new part of my business called Yap Academy. And I have a two-day LinkedIn masterclass where I teach you everything about the algorithm. I teach you how to copyright. I teach you how to build a personal brand, the psychology of design, sales on LinkedIn, using DMs on LinkedIn and being effective there. And that's a two-day workshop. And the next class is September 6th and 7th. And, uh, you know, Kevin, if you want to promote it to your audience, happy to give you a code where they can get thirty percent off, and you can get some money for your signups. <laughs> well,
0: I, I'm going to leave this in the show. Everybody just heard that. I, I will do that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, completely. Hey, just, just thank you. I, I feel like this is a show. I'm sitting here thinking, man, I've got some of my older kids. I want to listen to this to hear your. I, I kind of like. I didn't intend for this, as I you know, the show's organic. That we started with your story, with your initial drive, which we're going to get into here in, in a second in part two. But your initial drive that drove you these directions and the trials that you went through and then bringing you out to now your expertise that you're succeeding in, it's just a great, I think it's a great encapsulation of what we would all like to hear this, you know, the current younger generation right now that we hear a lot of negatives about, especially, but that there's they, they they know this kind of stuff and you're teaching it to them and us older folks need to learn it. So um, it's just great to hear your story. Thank you for sharing the, yeah, kind of the, I was gonna say the behind the scenes though we're about to do that as far as what drives you as well, which we've heard about, but we'll get a little more granular on it. But thank you for sharing that. And then going into this, I think I'll intro the show as, hey, we're gonna learn about Hala and then you're gonna get a masterclass real quick here in some, uh, in business and in marketing and whatnot that you need to hear. And yeah, I'd be happy for a lot of people to connect with you because I think they need to. So thank you for being here. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And uh, I'm grateful for what I have learned from you already, Hala.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin. This was so much fun.
0: Coming up next, I talk with Hala about what drives her, which is fitting as I'll soon be on her podcast to discuss my book, What Drives You. Again, you can connect with Hala on your podcast app at Young and Profiting, where she's recently had Lewis Howes and Seth Godin on her shows. Friends, thank you for tuning into Self-Helpful, where I curate the sea of new personal development materials and help you integrate wisdom into your life because we all want to elevate our own experience and improve the way we show up for others.